The Writer Files, a member of the Podglomerate Network. Greetings, scribes. Just a quick break to recommend our recent sponsor's Book of the Month. Book of the Month makes reading better by offering members a few new book selections each month to help you cut through the noise, save time, and make it easier to decide what to read next. Each month, the editorial team reads through hundreds of new titles and picks five to seven of the best new books for you to choose from. All of these books are good, so you really can't go wrong. Book of the Month helps readers like you and I find books that we wouldn't normally discover on our own. The cool part is selections largely focus on new and upcoming authors in multiple genres. Book of the Month also recently launched curated audiobooks, so members can get a hardcover or an audiobook each month, which you can then download and listen to right in the app. This month, I chose A Little Supernatural Fair in Murder Road by New York Times bestselling author Simone St. James, described as the story of a young couple that find themselves haunted by a string of gruesome murders committed along an old deserted road in this terrifying new novel. Just go to bookofthemonth.com to pick your first book and join Book of the Month. That's bookofthemonth.com. And for a limited time, you can join and get that first book for just $9.99 with the code CHIRP. That's C-H-I-R-P. Enjoy. It's just one of those businesses you can't predict. It's people's taste change in terms of what they want to read next. The market shifts on you. I think the best thing an author can do is have a good handle on his or her core story, know that core story, and know that you can take it anywhere because it's it's based on the kinds of emotions and conflicts that you are compelled to write. And those are not tied to any one particular fictional landscape, which is why when things got tough in the futuristic business back at the start, I was able to go into the historical business. And welcome back to The Writer Files. I am your grateful host, Kelton Reed, wishing you pages, patience, and perseverance per usual. Award-winning and New York Times bestselling author Jane Ann Krentz spoke to me about how persistence has defined her career, why you need to describe your core story in three words, and her latest thriller, Sleep No More. Jane Ann Krentz is the author of over 50 consecutive New York Times bestsellers with over 40 million copies in print. She currently writes under three pseudonyms, and her award-winning books have earned her the title of Queen of Romantic Suspense. Her latest is Sleep No More, the first novel of the Lost Night Files series, described as a new romantic suspense trilogy about a night that changed three women forever, but that none of them can remember. Kirkus Reviews called the book a richly layered mystery, full of pleasing paranormal elements from a master of the genre, and Booklist wrote in a starred review... Krentz skillfully taps into the current vogue for true crime podcasts with her heroine side hustle, while at the same time giving a clever nod to the eternal appeal of the gothic. Jane Ann earned a BA in history from the University of California, Santa Cruz, and went on to obtain a master's in library science from San Jose State. In this file, Jane Ann and I discussed her warnings against using multiple pseudonyms, how she invented the futuristic romance subgenre, finding her niche and why each writer has a unique universe, why she doesn't love police procedurals, leaning into dreams and the paranormal, and a lot more. Stay calm and write on. And don't forget, you can always support this show by heading to writerfiles.fm, where you can also sign up for email updates, get links to merch, 
and other resources for writers. And if you're a fan of The Writer Files, please click follow to automatically see new interviews in your podcatcher as soon as they're published and drop us a rating or a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you tune in to help other writers find us. And we are back on The Writer Files. I am honored today to be joined by a truly remarkable author. I have the award-winning and New York Times bestselling author, Jane Ann Krantz, is joining us today. How are you feeling today, Jane? I'm doing great. Thanks for inviting me. I'm looking forward to this. Yeah, I can't wait to talk about your incredible career um, and, of course, the latest uh, trilogy, which uh, you are kicking off here in January is very exciting uh, way to start the new year. How are you feeling right now? Uh, there's always that kind of tension before the book actually uh, arrives in stores. And uh, it's part excitement, part tension, part, I, it's just part of the business, I think. So I'm excited. I guess that would be the, the best way to describe it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I noticed that you were going to be hanging out with our friend Deanna Rayburn. She was on the podcast recently, joy to chat with, and another um, really remarkable author. Yeah, she's that fabulous new book, uh, Killers of a Certain Age. I, that's just, I got so many questions to ask her about that. <laughs> oh, yeah, absolutely. Love the concept. For sure. Did you get a chance to read it or? I did, yeah. Female assassins of a certain age. What could go wrong? <laughs> yeah, right. Um, well, you're you're an assassin yourself um, in, in certain respects. You are the author of, I mean, how many novels now? Over 100 novels? <laughs> I do not count anymore. It just makes me feel too old. So <laughs> just I'm a survivor in the business, put it that way. Yeah. Um, you've had a string of consecutive New York Times bestsellers. Um, you've written under seven pen names. And of course, you are still c- continuing to write under three pen names, I understand. Yeah. I don't recommend this path to anybody. If there are writers out there in the audience or people who aspire to be writers, do not go down this path. You do not want you do not want three pseudonyms at the end of your career. Trust me on this. Um, and the reason is it's just very, very hard to build three brands. And in this day and age, that's what you'd have to do. Yeah. To this day, uh, a lot of people don't read me under one name or the other. They don't either. They don't know I write under the other names. Or they just prefer my voice in one particular name. Yeah, it's pretty fascinating that you have built these multiple brands. And of course, you write romantic suspense and in both historical, uh, all historical, futuristic, and paranormal. And you, you essentially created the subgenre of futuristic. <laughs> that- Another another lesson learned, right? Uh, the first time I tried to create that genre from scratch was at back at the start of my career, and it pretty much killed it off for a good good length of while. Um, <laughs> because because again, writer's tips. I, I just wanted to pass along the word that it's just it. There's it's no better being too far ahead of the curve than it is being behind it. It's just as bad either way. You want to catch the curve. And I failed to do that the first time out. But you, but you, pers- you persisted and succeeded. Yeah. <laughs> Persisting is a good word to describe my career. It's just one of those businesses you can't predict. It's people's taste change in terms of what they want to read next. The market shifts on you. I think the best thing an author can do is 
have a good handle on his or her core story, know that core story, and know that you can take it anywhere because it's it's based on the kinds of emotions and conflicts that you are compelled to write. And those are not tied to any one particular fictional landscape, which is why when things got tough in the futuristic business back at the start, I was able to go into the historical business. Yeah, yeah. Well, um, congratulations on your uh, truly storied career. And it's, uh, I mean, it's very very impressive to see. And, you know, I, I want to pick your brain about all things writing and, you know, we, we don't have a ton of time, but, you know, if, in, as, in the cliff notes of kind of this very interesting career of yours, talk a little bit about kind of the early days. And, and as you mentioned, you know, you, you persisted and you kind of like, I think, fought through some rejection early on. And yet here you are, you know, uh, writing in, in multiple genres and, and, and doing it quite successfully. You know, it's really kind of hard to hard to miss you out there in the, uh, in the, in the, uh, in the bookstore. But, um, yeah, talk a little bit about just kind of like how you kind of battled through and, and got to this place because it, it could not have been easy. As you mentioned, um, you had some, had some early, um, failures. Oh yeah. It's part of the business. It's part of the career. It's part of the art. Keep in mind that back at the start of my career, there was no such thing as indie publishing or self-publishing. So you really were limited to basically New York publishing. If you could not crack one of the big New York houses, you didn't get published. There was just no other way around it. And that took me six years to get in any of the, any of the big houses. Once I was in, I got lucky, and timing is everything, as we know, I got lucky because the romance boom was just taking off in this country. And suddenly every publisher in New York wanted romance writers. So that, so the timing finally kicked in my direction after six years. And then once I had a, a place at the table, so to speak, I found my f- feet in romantic suspense. I have always said that that's a unique genre unto its own. It's not romance with a little mystery on the side. It's not suspense with a love story on the side. It is its own thing. And the best way I can define it is that every move in the mystery or the suspense angle has to generate a move in the romantic relationship and vice versa. They work together in lockstep. The problem, the most difficult thing I think in writing it is is actually the plotting because you have to make both characters heroes. They both have to have a job to do. And that defeats a lot of people when it comes to trying to actually plot out the suspense angle. So, but I love it. Clearly you have a love for it and, you know, you kind of wind uh, also your love of, it seems, research and, and, it seems as if you've done quite a bit of, of research for the most recent. And um, I want to talk about um, this first novel of The Lost Night Files, uh, Sleep No More. Uh, we're calling it an exciting new romantic suspense trilogy about a night that changed three women forever, but that none of them can remember. And it's a truly compelling precept. And, and of course, um, already getting quite a bit of uh, 
great press and and buzz. Uh, I want to say Kirkus Reviews said said that it was a paranormal world of unsolved plot lines that will keep readers clamoring for future titles. A richly layered mystery full of pleasing paranormal elements from a master of the genre. And of course, you've been called the queen of uh, of this genre, the queen of romantic suspense. Well, I don't know about that, but <laughs> that's a, kind of a, a vague job description. But um, but it is it is my story, and it is. I think I like it because it's one. It's it's a plot line in which the the stakes of the romance and raise the stakes of the suspense, and vice versa. And I think I I just like that tension. All of my plots, I when I look back over my career, and I'm trying to really define my core story. All of my plots involve themes of taking the risk of trust and reinvention. My characters are always in the process of trying to reinvent themselves. Their world has just fallen apart for whatever reason, and now they have to reinvent themselves. And all of my characters are dealing with issues of trust, because I think that's the biggest risk we take, and we take it every day of our lives. So those two themes are throughout my work. If I look all the way back to the beginning, those two elements are there. And I think, yeah, I think I like to think that we all writers have their own universe. Each writer has a unique universe and they spend their careers exploring that universe. That's my theory. I'm sticking to it. Yeah. I like that. Um, It would seem to prove true for a lot of uh, very prolific writers who you can kind of delve into at different parts of their career and kind of see and track a, you know, track themes or track different um, characteristics of their work, right? Yeah, because I think we are all compelled to explore certain themes over and over again, and we're looking for nuances, we're looking for answers, we're looking for, that. it's just those are the themes that give us our power, and they're unique to each writer. A story might, for example, have a theme of redemption, or a story might have a, a theme of healing. They're, they're really fundamental emotional themes and conflicts and I think we go back to them again and again, and that well will never run dry. Hmm. Yeah. What is it? I want, I'm, I'm curious about you know, and especially um, now with as um, I believe Booklist and that start of you had mentioned that you've skillfully tapped into this current vogue for true crime podcasts, which is you know is also kind of hard to miss, and then kind of combining it with the appeal of the gothic. Talk a little bit about kind of what draws you to the psychic powers or the paranormal in your work and kind of like, you know, where you have found inspiration to kind of keep tapping that vein. I've always loved to work with the psychic. I haven't done it in every single book, but um, I, I do enjoy working with it. And I definitely it's part of this new series, The Lost Night Files uh, trilogy. I think I like the psychic thing because it adds an element of intense intimacy that is just unique and it works with the romance and it works with the plot. It works with the suspense angle and that sense of intimacy, that sense of bonding that goes on is, is easily illustrated with a psychic vibe. It just, everybody kind of gets it. And I like the psychic vibe as opposed to, I would say the supernatural vibe. I love werewolves and vampire stories as much as anybody, but I can't write them. That story just doesn't work for me. 
But the psychic vibe works because I think it's just one step beyond intuition and everybody has intuition and everybody thinks they have intuition. So for a lot of readers, it's not difficult to take that one extra step because because where's the line between the psychic thing and good intuition? And that's what makes, that's what I pivot all of my stories off of is that one step beyond intuition feeling. And as I say, I just, I just like the layer of intimacy uh, that it adds and in, in terms of the relationship, especially, but it also gives me new plots to work with. I don't have to stick with the police procedural thing. I don't have to worry about DNA. I don't, you know, all, all the stuff that a lot of other writers are doing much better than I can because you have to solve my plots, my crimes with other senses and other, other techniques. I would say that in a lot of ways, my crimes are more of the Sherlock Holmes variety, actually, which is just insight, intuition, and paying attention to the characters involved. And that fundamental, I, I guess you would say it's an amateur sleuth approach to things, but all of which is to say that's what makes the podcast cold cases so fascinating to people because essentially that's what's happening. You're getting a, a bunch of amateur sleuths are on the job and they're using other kinds of techniques, just old fashioned kinds of techniques to try to solve crimes today. And there's just an enormous appeal for that, I think. Yeah. Well, yeah, for sure. With the amateur sleuthing piece, um, I thought I find it fascinating, not only that, uh, the serial podcast had kind of, you know, obviously mined this like rich vein of, uh, you know, that again, it's, 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 it's not a new thing, right. But they kind of, they, they, they uncovered it in a, in a new medium with the podcast. Yeah. And now you can't, you can't that's a good way of describing it. It's, there's nothing new about the uh, amateur sleuth, but having the medium to be able to do it in, in the modern world is a whole new thing. And we have access to sources of information we never had before, like the internet. I mean, that just wasn't out there. So, um, but fundamentally the, the appeal is that the crimes are solved based on insight and seeing what nobody else spotted. And I think the other element that you mentioned that um, the Gothic element, that's something else I love to work with too. And the appeal of the Gothic, I think, is easily understood when you think when you strip away all the other elements, what you've really got is a remote location, one that's cut off from, say, police or the FBI or any or anybody. No, nobody can ride to the rescue. So the, the, so the your your characters are trapped in a remote location. There's always a hint of madness or a hint of um memory loss, something you can't trust your memories in a Gothic novel. You can't trust what you're seeing. You're not sure you're seeing the real thing. You're not sure you're not seeing ghosts. So there's a sense of, do I trust what I'm seeing? So there's that sense of um, madness or, or unreliable memory, uh, memories. And the third category is that the threat is always from within the house, from within the location, not from across the world or, you know, outside, outside the house, the threat is from within. And those three elements, the, the hint of madness, the threat from within and the remote location, I think define the Gothic. And uh, those all work great for making my kind of books because there's intimacy to it. 
You've talked about intimacy quite a bit and discussed, um, of course, how the romance genre endures. And it seems to be going through a renaissance of sorts. Um, but as, as you know, you know, tastes change, as you put it, um, the times change and, and, you know, what, what seems to be in vogue changes quite often. Um, but romance endures and you've always been a proponent of, uh, the genre just kind of as a, you know, not even only from a, like a seemingly from a feminist standpoint, but just from a, from a literary standpoint, talk a little bit about kind of how you're interweaving as you put it, this intimacy with uh, the importance of these themes that seem to be recurring. The fundamental element of the romance, I think, is the relationship. Whatever that relationship happens to be between two people, that relationship forms a family. Whether or not there are offspring or family of choice or a community, it's built around that core relationship between two people who make the commitment to each other. That's the building block of civilization. It's the building block of community. It's the building block of history. That's why it's so fundamental, and that's why it's so constantly appealing. You can't have anything without it that we would define as civilization. So that core relationship never loses its fascination for all of us. And the same is true of justice and Mystery, those are elements that are never going to go away because they're just built into our uh, our nature as humans. So I, romantic suspense puts them together, and that's why, that's why I love it. So, But in romantic suspense, the character who is figuring out how to fall in love or whether or not to fall in love or making that decision to make that ultimate commitment, that character is the one at the heart of the story. And that's the appeal of the romance because everybody can identify with that kind of character, I think. I don't know. Do you believe in uh, the supernatural? Do you have, uh, <laughs> do you have any ghost stories? <laughs> no ghost stories, but I do think everybody can look back and find something that in their experience that qualifies as woo psychic, something like that. Um, because as I said, I think it's just that one step beyond intuition. And that element is um, is something most people can identify with because they've had that weird experience, you know, that feeling of, I mean, every mother will tell you she's been through it. It's time to go check on little Johnny, right? Right now. I got to see what little Johnny's doing right now. He's been too quiet too long, you know, and there he is outside about to, you know, run into the street or something like that. So that kind of thing we almost take for granted at that level. And all I've done is taken that kind of vibe and pushed it a little into a, a more prominent role. <laughs> and I do think that there probably is a lot of energy out there that we have not yet found ways to measure. And that would include psych psychic energy. I mean, when you think about it, we're always giving off energy. Think I mean, that's until we die. And then somebody else or something, a mushroom comes along and uh, transforms that matter into more energy. It's just, you know, it just, there's no, just goes around and around. So I think there's probably a lots of energies out there that we haven't yet figured out. You know, one of the interesting things I like to work with that comes into this category, if we don't know much about it, are dreams. Everybody dreams. Everybody knows what a bad dream is, a good dream. Everybody knows what a sleepless night is. 
But when you think about it, we really don't know much about dreams. The, the jury is still out on, scientists are still out, not sure why we do it in the first place. There's lots of theories, but nobody knows for sure, which makes it easy. It gives me a lot to play with in my stories. Yeah, well, I mean, that, <laughs> that dovetails nicely, uh, of course, into, um, yeah, your latest. And, and so talk about like why you chose this college town i i i think it's a real town right like near uh Irv- or in irvine or near irvine Am no, I, I made it up i made it up but yeah who knows everybody knows what a college town looks like right in california so <laughs> but you but you spent time at uc santa cruz and that's kind of what i was picturing yeah yeah that would do it um that's a college town um but it also gave me that isolated location with plenty of suspects mm-hmm and so it, that's a practical matter. If I'd picked uh, Berkeley with a big city around it, it would have been a lot harder to write the story, you know, to narrow it down to the get that remote, isolated feeling. Yeah. So that's why I went with a small college town. And colleges are struggling these days. So, you know, the whole financial theme of the pl- uh, storyline is, um, is a valid one. It fit nicely into the plot. Mm-hmm. But mostly, as I said, I'm trying to avoid plots where I have to depend on straight up old old school police procedural events because I'm I'm just not interested in writing police procedurals. And of course, uh, a sleep it's a it's a sleep research facility or like a, a dream. I mean, because because we're talking about dreams, we're talking about the, the unconscious, um, and kind of obviously dovetailing into you kind of like psychic powers and that kind of thing and your protagonists are having to kind of you know uh make their way through these seemingly new frontiers for them yeah well my characters the the core story that runs throughout the or the or the the overarching plot that runs throughout the series is these three women who have they went out to an abandoned hotel on the prospect of getting jobs they walked into the lobby and they can't remember anything after that for 24 hours. They lost, they've lost 24 hours. So each book will focus on one of the women and her story and then get one step closer to solving the overall problem of who is running these experiments on them and why. Because when they did wake up, the one thing they had in common was that they had all developed some psychic abilities. So somebody is obviously running experiments on uh, unwitting test subjects out there. And our characters are bound and determined to find out who, because the police don't believe them, the authorities don't believe them. So naturally they fire up a podcast to start hunting the truth behind their own cold case. Well, I mean, what else would you, what, what else would you do? <laughs> <laughs> well, exactly. <laughs> Um, I would do nothing less. And, uh, it's a really, really compelling story. Um, listeners, uh, definitely check out sleep no more. Of course it's available, uh, January 3rd. So pick it up in your, in your new year's inbox and, um, yeah, lots of fun. Thank you so much, um, for your words, your wisdom. And of course I want to, uh, ask you a couple of fun ones before we sign off with your, with just wisdom. Fellow scribes, I just had a first beer, but I will point at your uh, home base, janeandkrantz.com. Sleep No More, of course, this um, fantastic start to a new trilogy. And there's so much more to uncover. Yeah, anywhere else you want to point at? Because you're on all the socials and, and we can kind of link everything through your home base there, right? 
<laughs> yeah, my website, <laughs> janeancrenz.com. That's a good place to start. Lots going on there. Um, yeah. But yeah, I mean, I, I feel like I could pick your brain all day about this stuff. And of course, we have some limited time. But if you could have dinner with any author from any era to your favorite restaurant in the world, uh, who would you take? Or where would you take them? This is our, this is kind of our signature uh, wind, wind down. Anne McCaffrey, who, bless her, is gone now. But Anne McCaffrey wrote a book back at the beginning of her career that inspired me to write the futuristic romantic suspense that nearly killed off my career, <laughs> but which I'm now happily writing. So it all, what goes around comes around. And Anne McCaffrey wrote a book called Restory, which was just, I mean, classic kidnapped by aliens, heroin kidnapped by aliens. It's just perfect. And I just kind of love to <laughs> ask her what made her take that risk. Amazing. Yeah. And risks. And that's important, right? I think it, it seems to be a theme in your own work. Yes. Yeah. Well, I was going to ask um, kind of what had been some of your early inspirations. And that seems like it would have been one. And I, I also had was curious if you know if you had any other nonfiction kind of inspiration, if you delved into any <laughs> Jung or William James like early on or, you know, because I know you have this, uh, you know, you, you obviously had an academic career and you kind of had some probably some influences in the uh, when you're doing the library research stuff. I do go back to um, dreams and very interesting work that was done at the beginning of the first half of the 20th century on the whole psychic thing, paranormal thing. What we tend to forget is that people took it very seriously right up through the 1970s. I mean, obviously people still probably take it seriously, but I mean, seriously to the point of serious funding through major academic institutions like Duke university mm -hmm. and the federal government on psychic research. They never really gave up on it. They poured a ton. We'll never know how much money got poured into the CIA's programs. Um, oh, yeah. Because there was just that much belief that there was something out there and nobody wanted the Russians to get ahead of us on it. And they were also heavily investing in it. But that, when you look back on it, it's kind of surprising that so many serious people, scientists and um federal bureaucracy took it seriously enough to fund these programs. So, and who knows, they may still be going on. How would we know? <laughs> right. And uh, yeah, sure. And UFOs and, and uh, it goes on and on um, psychedelics and so on and so forth. Well, I was just going to say, but out of that comes unlimited. All you have to do is open up that cupboard door and the plots just come spilling out. Love that. It's a perfect way to wrap up. Do you have one final pearl of wisdom? Uh, I just had a, Keep going. Find your core story and learn to define it in three words or less. Mine, I've told you, is trust and reinvention. Um, I urge you, if you're a writer, I urge you to do the same, take the same look at your own core story, figure it out, and it will set you free. Love that. Jane, thank you so much for doing this. Uh, please come back in the future. Uh, I just could pick your brain forever, but um, we do appreciate your words, your wisdom, and your work, and uh, we'll be in touch again soon. Thank you so much. It's been great. All right, cheers. Thanks so much for joining us for this file. And if you're a fan of the show, simply head over to writerfiles.fm for more. That's writerfiles.fm. <laughs>